Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. The worst kind of want has already earned some wonderful praise. Ivy Pakoda calls it a devilish, devious, and sultry psychological thrill ride. Janet Fitch writes, The perfect vacation read, like under the Tuscan sun, gone darkly, desperately wrong. <laughs> I really like that one. Uh, Liska Jacobs is the author of Catalina, and her essays and short fiction have appeared in The Rumpus, The Los Angeles Review of Books, Literary Hub, the Millions, and The Hairpin, among other publications. She holds an MFA from the University of California, Riverside. Yeah. Also joining us this evening is Allie Rowbottom. She's the author of Jello Girls. Her essays can be found in Vanity Fair, Salon, The Florida Review, The Rumpus, No Tokens, and elsewhere. She's the recipient of fellowships and awards from Disquiet, Summer Literary Seminars, In Print, and Tin House. Allie holds a PhD from the University of Houston and an MFA from CalArts and lives here in LA. We're incredibly fortunate to have Liska and Allie with us this evening. Please join me in giving them a warm welcome. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having us, Skylight. I um, bribed them with biscotti earlier this week, so that's why they said so many nice things about me. Um, I guess I'll read first. Yes, okay. please do. Regale us. <clears throat> also, thank you for everyone for coming out here. Heather, hello. Hello, Will. I know traffic <laughs> is, is a pain. Um, I have a lot of family here, and I'm going to embarrass them later um, by making them all stand up, but <laughs> for now. Actually, I'm going to do it now. <laughs> this, <laughs> this book, we were talking earlier, and this book has a lot to do with sisters. Um, I am lucky enough to have a twin and a younger sister, and both my sisters are here, so I'm going to make my twin sister stand up and my younger sister stand up. Say hello to them. They may sit back down. Um, I come from a large matriarchal family. My mother is here with her sister. They must stand up now. <laughs> And you guys are going to die. My grandmother is here with her sister. Yeah. And they are going to stand up. That's them right here. Come on, stand Yes, yes, yes. So, now you guys know where it comes from. Okay. All right, so I'm not going to read for very long. Um, this book is, you heard about it being sultry and sexy and stuff. So, you just saw my grandmother is in the audience. So, I'm only going to read a little piece to give you a taste. Um, <laughs> no. Also, my dad is here, too, so. Um, so, no, not today. Um, it is a book about um, an older woman that travels to Italy um, and is seduced by Italy and also uh, seduces or is seduced by a 17-year-old boy, if you didn't already know what the book is about. Um, the boy's name is Donato, um, and this is when she first sees him, okay? I've lost all the slides in my mouth. Okay. <clears throat> The boy's name is Donato, short for Donatello. He started to go by Donato only recently, his mother tells me. 
Her face is pinched pink with the pleasure from talking about her only son. You know how boys are, she says. I nod as if I do. I watch him cross the room, his mother still beaming. He takes a pear from the kitchen table, tossing it up in the air and catching it. She fixes his flipped collar before he flops onto the couch. This year will be his last at Liceo Torquato Tasso. She gently pushes his feet from the throw pillows. Then it will be on to university. She says something to him in Italian that makes him throw up his arms, but then he smiles lovingly and mischievously at her. I feel a quick, unexpected pang of sadness. I lean toward him. What do you want to study? He wants to be, his mother interjects herself again. How do you say, her English is good, but with a lilting accent, like Fellini films, like post-war Italian actresses. The boy motions to his limbs, makes a sleeping motion. Anesthesiologist, I tell him. See, he smiles at me. It's a goofy, toothy grin. His nose is large and his ears stick out. But I like how his thick black hair gets in his eyes when he tilts his head to bite into the pear. He runs a hand through it to push it back, but it doesn't help. There's a snap as he bites through the pear's skin into the flesh, peeling it with his teeth. I watch his throat work as he eats. A bit of juice disappears beneath the collar of his shirt. That's all you get. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yay. Um, I'm going to point out two more sisters in the audience. My husband's here, and so I have um, sister-in-laws, and they are sisters. That's my sister-in-law, Jessica, and that's Heather over there. So more sisters in the audience. Um, anyways, okay, so that's all you get. <laughs> all right. So with that very brief little taste of this very sultry novel, can you guys hear me? Yeah? Okay. Um, I guess we'll talk a little bit and then open it to discussion. I'm sure there's a lot of audience questions. Um, Liska, I just finished this book. It's beautiful. I can't wait for everyone Aww, to read you. it. Um, I just think that there's so much here that really cuts to the quick of our sort of collective relationship to womanhood, matrilineal inheritance, um, grief, trauma, um, and desire. So, you know, where I think it really appeals to many women readers, I think men will love it as well. Um, so one of the many passages that I bookmarked here comes about halfway through the book, and it has to do with Scylla's relationship to another character, um, about whom, Liska writes, his want I learned, but what about my own? I wanted Guy, or maybe I needed him to want me. Another line blurred, but that's how it is for women. And I just feel like this really sort of encapsulates the heart of this book and, and also Scylla, your protagonist. And I just wondered if you could maybe unpack this muddled push-pull mm -hmm. between want and need for us a little and, and maybe also speak to its relationship to womanhood in this book. Yeah, um, so Guy is Scylla's older lover. She met him when she was 15. He was about twice her age. Um, and that scene comes a little bit later in the book where she sort of realizes that her entire sexuality has been from the perspective of a male's desire rather than exploring her own sexuality and her own desire. Um, so I think with the, it's sort of like, I think women are often put on the pedestal um, rather than being the one looking at the, you know, the man on the pedestal. So I was trying to flip that with, with this. And I think with womanhood, it's just something that is the truth. I, I, I feel like most women feel that way, probably, right? It's, it's 
I'm 36 and I think um, it takes you a long time in your adulthood to really start thinking about your own desires and your own sexuality and to feel empowered by them rather than stifled mm -hmm. by them. We were talking earlier about um, Hollywood as a character oh, yeah. in this novel, Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, much of this novel is set in, in Rome and um, we'll get to sort of discussing that in a moment, <laughs> but I just wondered if maybe you could speak to Hollywood and its relationship to desire, particularly oh, yeah. female desire. Yeah, Scylla comes from a long um, Hollywood background. So, and I, I, we also were talking about this because Allie's from Connecticut um, and I'm from Los Angeles and I feel like Hollywood sort of permeates all, everything, all American life, right? So it doesn't matter if you grow up in Connecticut or if you grow up in Los Angeles, we all are affected by Hollywood's films and TV and how women are supposed to look and what age women are often looked at and what age women are no longer looked at, right? Um, Scylla is 43, she's um, on the precipice of going through menopause or believes that that's coming. So I think she's really sort of looking at her impending invisibility. And I think that has a lot to do with her having been raised in Hollywood and, and her relationship with that. And that come, sort of carries into Italy with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sort of interested also, just because so much of this idea of like want and need and desire and accomplishment and um, how we define ourselves, as women as people, it really spoke to me in this book, oddly, about writing and, and career. <laughs> um, and I wondered if that was something that you um, pulled from in, in writing this book, your own relationship to your writing practice and to art making and yeah. to success. Absolutely. So I, I really believe the, the title came about sort of the worst kind of one. I think most people will read that and think I'm ass they're assuming I'm talking about Scylla's desire for a 17-year-old boy. But I think what I'm, I'm really trying to get at is that insatiable desire that's in all of us that is never appeased, right? Mm -hmm. And writing and art and <clears throat> all forms are, are like that, right? Um, if we can just write this novel, if we can just finish this project, if we, there's many types of, of ways of trying to fill that void in us that we are trying to make life feel meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, not to make it depressing, but I, I and Scylla believe that we're sort of black holes of desire and that's never really going to, to fill up. That's the tragedy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go home now. Enjoy your day. Bummer. <laughs> I brought alcohol, so I hope I hope that helps with that truth. And and I think you know, reading this beautiful book will help as well. It's it's truly yeah. really a piece well, of I art. And I think with with this too, the thing about sisterhoods is she, the book starts. Her sister has already passed away. It's been a year, um, and it's really I think her grief uh, drives her desire and her and and propels the story. Um, and I think, although I do say we are black holes of desire, it doesn't mean we don't have meaningful relationships. And um, that's sort of what the book is, is getting at, I think, that mm -hmm. we have these sisterhoods, we have you know, relationships in our life that are deep and complex and very important. That's interesting. Um, I'm just sort of curious, thinking about that. Scylla throughout the book seems to sort of oscillate um, from these sort of like, moments of intense action to sort of pulling back into mm. herself. And I wonder what you see as the future for her without giving anything mm. away once, you know, after the book ends. Yeah. So the dynamic between her and her sister through her whole life has always been one is the wild one and one is the dutiful daughter, as usually this happens in sisterhoods, in sisters <laughs> when you have pairs. Um, and sometimes, you know, they take turns. But for Scylla and Emily, it's really one's been dutiful and one has not. Mm. Um, and I think... Scylla goes through this novel trying on 
different traits of her sister, um, and that's how Emily sort of haunts the book um, throughout. And I think that's why you get that sort of sometimes she's goes after her desire, sometimes she pulls back, because she's also learning at a, as a 43-year-old what it is that she wants. Unfortunately, and it's with a 17-year-old. Um, but um, does that answer your question? Yeah, right? okay. yeah, I think so. Okay, I got lost. <laughs> as soon as I said 17-year-old boy, I was like, oh, God, my mom's right there. <laughs> um, so another thing I should tell you all, the only people in my family who have read this book, um, besides my husband, are my two sisters. Um, prior to its publication, um, and that was because I was like, is it okay that I publish this? <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys cool with this? It is fiction, but, you know, you draw from your own life, sure. um, and, you know, I'm, you're dealing with sisterhoods and complexities of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the want, the need, the desire. Yeah, no, I would have I asked, you know, what it was. And they had strong reactions to it, and that's how I knew, you know, there is a, a, a truth there, you know. Um, I think we were talking about this too. Mm -hmm. uh, sisterhood is deep and complex, but it's something that you carry with you your entire life. Um, it's, you can't get away from it. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. Um, but they're always there, um, hopefully. I'm going to sort of turn to a different relationship that's in the book, mm. and that's re the relationship between Scylla and the city of Rome. I think I mentioned earlier a lot of this book takes place in Italy, and it's so richly rendered. It's like taking a little mini vacation. <laughs> um, but so another one of the passages that I really loved had to do with Rome, and it's somewhat anxious, I think is the word you, you use, identity as a city that's borne witness to the best and worst behaviors um, humans have to offer. And Scylla herself has really been through the ringer uh, with love and loss. And she has agency, which the city does not have, and uh, power to sort of behave badly in response to the damage that's been done to her. Um, but anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the relationship between Rome and Scylla as characters. And maybe that'll sort of spin off into talking more about grief and trauma. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I said it in Rome, um, well, I wanted somewhere exotic because I knew it was going to be some heavy material. Um, and I did want it to feel like a fun vacation um, with some, you know, consequences. <laughs> but um, I also thought, uh, so I, when I was trying to decide where I wanted it to take place, I knew I wanted it to be somewhere that exists in our minds. So even if you haven't traveled to Rome, when I say Rome, it comes into your mind because of film and television and whatever else, right? And for someone like Scylla, she comes from a Hollywood family, so it's already, of course, it's in her mind. So having her come to a place that she's has never been, but experiences it in her own, you know, memories and mm -hmm. imagination, um, that it feels surreal and that, that already creates, you know, sort of confusion and she can break down and and behave a little bit differently, right? Because it doesn't feel real. Um, and then the other half of the book takes place in Puglia. Um, and the reason why I chose Puglia was I wanted there to be some place that, well, maybe some of you guys know about Puglia now, but when I first thought of Puglia, I didn't even know how to pronounce it. Um, it hadn't been in like the New York Times and travel magazines or anything <laughs> like that. When I first traveled there with my husband, um, we rented a car at the airport and they warned us of marauders on the road. They were like, careful. There's literally people out there that will ram me off the road and steal your belongings. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's perfect. That's exactly <laughs> where I want this to take place because the, I need Scylla to go somewhere where now it, it doesn't exist in her mind. She can make it her own and she can be anything she wants to be, mm -hmm. right? And that's why it's sort of the tension escalates very rapidly when she gets there. I love that. I'm so <laughs> glad you told me that. <laughs> oh, and with the grief thing also, the, the reason why I wanted Rome too, and it's, it's so heavily layered with humanity there and civilization. Mm -hmm. um, I think anyone that goes there, you're immediately struck. And being, you know, in California and Los Angeles specifically, it's very difficult to understand that there's were civilizations here. <laughs> you know, uh, hundreds, thousands of years ago, you go to a place like Rome and people are just having coffee on a Roman stump. And you're like, mm -hmm. but that should be in a museum. Why are you touching that? Don't walk on this floor. It's mm -hmm. 500 years old. Um, and it's, so it's different there. People are, are living in uh, knowledge of society's collapse, mm -hmm. right? And I think, that's, I think that's super interesting. Did you travel to these places extensively to write this book? Yes, How much it was of difficult. this book? To, yeah. <laughs> it was hard. I did. I, I suffered through that. Um, yeah, I. It was. This is so silly. I went uh, the first time I went. I went in October for my husband's birthday. I was like, well, we'll try it out because I had. This is so silly. I tried Portugal first, and I was like, this won't work. England, this won't work. Paris, this won't work. And then I was like, maybe this isn't, maybe I'm just like wasting a lot of money and trying to give my an excuse to like travel the world. Um, and then we got a cheap flight to, to Italy and I thought, okay, one more time, we'll go to Rome. We've never been there. As soon as we landed, it clicked and it worked. We went to Puglia. It was off season though, and it was October. Mm. And I thought, oh shit, the book's going to take place in the summer. I should come back in June <laughs> next year. <laughs> so I came back in June the following year. And then I went two more times so uh, for rewrites because I'm a serious author, as you can tell. <laughs> um, it was all a write-off. I kept all the receipts. Um, and hopefully that shows in the book because I, it's important to get the setting right, um, especially because it's such a character-driven book. If you, the reader, don't feel the seduction of Italy, then you won't mm -hmm. understand Scylla's um, choices. Mm -hmm. So... I know you're working on something new. Are you traveling for that as well? No, because I'm broke now. <laughs> <laughs> that took all of the money. No, I decided to have that one take place at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, I know I have to go there too. It's hard. <laughs> but um, their media rate is still like ridiculously expensive. They were like, oh, you're an author. We'll discount it for you. And I was like, coo, I could fly to Italy for that much. <laughs> okay, all right, that's fine. Um, so yeah, that's, I decided to stick local. Amazing. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to open it up to the audience. There's so many of you. I'm sure there's lots of questions humming to be asked. Oh, yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Oh, Don't get a different job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tell him that. Um, I always start with characters. Um, that's really where I start with. Uh, I, Jordan knows when my husband's name is Jordan. When I, I, I get serious. I have a, a mood board, and I go to a store, and I get those cheap hair, like hair styling magazines, um, and also expensive Vogues because those are fun to look at. And then I rip <laughs> them up, and I cast my characters. 
Um, and I don't use actors because I automatically associate them with their roles. So like if I were to cast Chris Evans or something, I'm like, well, he's Captain America, clearly. Um, so I have to use people that I don't associate at all and I, and I cast them and then I start thinking about how they interact with each other and what, what situations I can put them in to force them to a crisis. Sort of how, how that, how, I guess that's where I start. Um, a lot of notebooks, um, but that's sort of, and also an emotion too. Like what is it that I want to convey? And I think with this book, when I first started it, I thought I wanted to gender swap Lolita. I know, the hubris. But um, I thought that would be interesting. And as soon as I did that, all of a sudden nothing worked because I was like, well, the rules are different for women. Um, you can't, you, you just can't do that. And as soon as I suggested it to my editor, she was just like, well, he can't be 15. That's <laughs> off the table. And I was like, 12? And she was like, Liska! <laughs> Um, and I was like, well, come on. And, and then there was a lot of talk of trying to make him 18 or 19. And I was like, absolutely. He has to be a, a legal quote. He has to still be a boy, but on the brink of manhood so that, um, you know, it's considered wrong. Um, because, you know, I think what I was playing with there too was when does a, this, I'm so sorry for all the men in the audience. I'm glad my little brother didn't come. But, um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, when does a boy stop being someone's, a mother's child and start being a woman's sexual object of desire? That was sort of what I was playing with because that's an un uncomfortable topic. I say that and people are like, oh yeah, when, when do that? Because we all, oh, why? Oh yeah. See, it's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's interesting. Um, my little brother is 10 years younger than me. And so I watched him grow up and I, you know, I helped, you know, pseudo raise him and, and it's very awkward when they get to an age where you, you can appreciate how attractive they are, not in a gross way, but especially their friends. That's usually when it gets weird. Um, and also, I think, too, the power dynamic shifts. Mm -hmm. And that's what's interesting for Scylla. She's always been, uh, you know, someone, guys older than her, and so she's been the object of his desire, right? Um, but she's makes Donato blush, right? And so it's just, it's... The dynamics have shifted. The power has changed, and I think for women that can be intoxicating. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if we if we still don't talk about that, but yeah, older women look at younger men. I did a radio show recently, and the guy that was um, interviewing me, he was like, "I have a 17 year old son, Liska, and he's very attractive. <laughs> I will not introduce you." And I was like, "What? It's fiction." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I do think that something that you're playing with here and that you do very well in the book is that pointing out without overtly saying that the power dynamics are so different for men and women around this subject yeah. and that a lot of Scylla's behavior does render her unlikable in sort of the public. Yeah. Well, I think women, uh, even if you don't have children, we are, our maternal instincts, I think we assume always come first, right? Mm -hmm. It's why women are often spinning plates that aren't just their own. They're, you know, taking care of friends or taking care of family. So th it, their sexuality is not the first thing uh, that they're thinking of or they're supposed to be thinking of. So if they're not spinning those plates, when those come crashing down, it doesn't just affect them, it affects everybody around them. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of women not doing those things, I think, I mean, it's anarchy. That's, that, we're talking about anarchy. <laughs> women having sex and enjoying it is anarchy. That's what I'm talking about here. <laughs> <a> radical act. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Other questions? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's great. Mm, that's a good question. Um, so those of you that don't know, Catalina was my first novel that came out two years ago. Um, I wrote it in an MFA program with you three are folks. Uh, that's a wonderful residency program if you haven't gotten an MFA or if you desire an MFA. Um, and I worked on that book while I, while I was there and I got an agent and I sold it. And this book was part of a two book deal. So when I sold that book, the publisher was like, this book's great. Can you do it again? We believe in you. Here's some money. And I was like, rad. Um, but that also means I had half the time to write it. Um, I think I wrote Catalina over five years mm -hmm. and I wrote this book in two, um, which means there was a lot of time spent in a chair. We were talking about this because she's also on deadlines right now. Um, so there was basically, we called it cave mode, where no one sees me, my family didn't see me, my hair grew out, I looked like a crazy person. I got compression socks, so I didn't have a, like a stroke or a blood clot because I was spending so much time at the desk. I did ice baths um, on my hands. I think my neighbor thinks I'm insane. Um, I've told this story before, but some of you guys don't know the story I was telling, mm -hmm. I, I don't remember who I was telling this to, but I share a duplex with my neighbor and we share, have like a patio. And one day I was really into, into these edits. And these turnarounds are crazy. Like I would, I would rewrite the book, six weeks, give it to her, she'd give me notes in two weeks and then I'd be back at the desk again. Um, so it's serious, I have to get these deadlines. We want the book to come out this year because next year in November is, no one wants a book to come out next year <laughs> in November. So I have compression socks on and wrist guards and, and noise canceling headphones, but there's this blue jay that keeps coming, the scrub jay, and it's hopping on the window and it just keeps making noise and it's the only thing coming through my headphones. And I'm just like, oh my God, stop, just stop. So I ran outside and I started throwing rocks at it to be like, get out of here, get out of here, you bird, I need to work. And I turned around and my neighbor was standing in his window drinking an espresso and was just like, I think at that point I was also where I had wrapped, yeah, I was, I wrapped my hair because I'd gotten so long in a t-shirt because I didn't have a headband. I looked insane. And then what am I going to do? When this book comes out, I go over to him and I'm like, I wrote this book about sex and death. I swear I'm not crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. Thanks Hard for work. the question, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. That's interesting because it's always a struggle. And I, I think part of that is I, it's Los Angeles and California is special to me because this is manifest destiny sort of ends here, right? So like if the American dream can't work here, it just doesn't work, right? Like the, it ends here. And that's a terrifying feeling. And I think uh, I ref that reflects in my writing. 
Um, but because I choose these female characters that are considered unlikable, I hate that term, but um, I root for them and I get to know them. And I always, always, even though I have an idea of what I want the ending to be, by the time I get to the ending, I'm like, no, I want a happy ending. Like with Catalina, <laughs> I was like, maybe she could just, I think at one point I wrote a version where she got in a car and drove to the desert. And I was like, perfect. Nailed it. She's going to be fine. And then I was like, no, of course not. Because women who make these decisions still have to have consequences. That's just, that's the way it has to be. Um, so I have, it always gets to a point when I get to the ending and it's sort of like mourning a person's death. You realize it has to be that way. They cannot be anything else. Um, you, you think about it for a long time, you go on a lot of walks and then you write it. It's hard. And then you're depressed for a little bit. But. <laughs> the ending isn't this depressing, though, I swear. <laughs> it's happy. You guys should buy the book. <laughs> you know, you should. It's a fun yeah. romp <laughs> all the way through. There's definitely some, some hope at the end, I think, in a sort of weird, realistic way. I think it's definitely cathartic. Yeah. Yeah, for her. She reaches a conclusion. If you have sons, it will terrify you. But. <laughs> Yeah, my friend Megan has four sons. Four sons. four sons, yeah, and I sent to her, and she was like, "Why?" <laughs> Other questions from the audience? Comma, yes. Uh, so you talked about grief a little bit. Mm. Yes. Mm. Inside knowledge. Okay. Um, so I wrote a draft of this novel, um, and then my grandfather became ill, and he passed away. And um, I had already written a story about two sisters whose father passed away. Um, and I thought, well, either I'm a witch um, or I, I, have to, I have to really think about what the process I went through and pay my respects to it and honor the kind of grief that I was going through, the kind of grief I saw my mother going through, the kind of grief I saw my grandmother going through. Um, and it was difficult because I, when he passed away, I was in the middle of a, actually, she had just gotten me notes back. And she said, can you turn this around? And I said, no, I can't. Um, I'm right in the middle of something. And then after he passed away, I think five days later, I sat back down at the desk and I just did another pass. And that's really when the sort of grief, I think, became stronger in the book and um, uh, sort of weighted um, the, whole, the whole narrative a little bit more. Um, I also, when Gene, my grandfather, was misbehaving because he was, he was cognizant the entire time um, up until the very end, I would tell him, you take this medicine or I'm going to write about this in my book. And he'd be like, fine. That's true. And I was like, so I also feel like it's, I'm okay that I did that. I thanked him in the acknowledgement. So hopefully I did, I did right by him. Um, yes. Oh, thank you. Don't make me cry. Any other questions? There is sex in the book. No one's going to ask Jessica. You, wrote, you just listened to the entire thing. No questions about sex.
Wow. He lives he lives outside of San Francisco, everybody. Um, so he's here. Okay. Well. Two questions. Oh well, then wait before I say before I, I before you guys ask your questions. I dedicated this book to to my siblings, to Ariel, Rachel, and Willie, and now they're all here. So. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> They're good people. Okay. Oh, comment. Well, yeah. I was just going to say I'm one of the big horrors for your next book because it's taking place here. Mm. I love reading books about places that I Well, the nice thing I think... Yeah, I think I think the nice thing about this book is that it's Katie said this, actually. It's a, it's a Los Angeles book that takes place in Rome because she brings it with her because she is very much from a Hollywood family. Um, it affects how she looks at the city, how she interacts with people, how she sees herself, her own body, other people's bodies. Um, so hopefully you'll be able to connect with that. Well, my question is, oh. you mentioned, though, that some of your, I think it was your publisher or somebody, that had a 17-year-old son. Do you get that a lot, that people think that you are actually the characters? All the time. All the time. Yeah, when Catalina came out. <laughs> yeah, I always have to catch myself when I say I went to Italy for research because they're like, oh. And then I have to be like, no, no, this is my husband. He was there the whole time. Everything's fine. Also, I was telling her, um, when we started going to Puglia, we stayed at this masseria, and she stays at a masseria also. And that's uh, it's agritourism. It's an olive um, grove sort of fields, and the masseria is an old monastery. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it's very exotic. Um, and a family owns it, so you stay with a family. And the woman who uh, ran the Masseria had a, has a son. And when I met him, he was nine, and his name is Donato. And I thought, that's a great name, because I wanted a name that sort of sounded like Lolita, had that same sort of like snappiness to it. Um, and then when we went back this last time, he's like 14, almost 15, and I was like, this is weird. <laughs> this is really weird. Oh, God. Um, so I do get that, I do get it a lot. And even I am like, well, because I know it's coming. I know she's going to read the book or someone at the Masseria will read it and be like, uh, she stayed here with your son? Um, because it happens all the time. Uh, Elsa more so because she was more my age. This book, I'm, she's 43, I'm 36. So I'm, I'm hoping I won't, I won't get that so much. But yeah. yeah. Last questions? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I went, I went back and forth on ages, too. It was very difficult. I wanted an age in the 40s. I wanted it. She's very worried about menopause. She's very worried about that it's coming or is it happening now. She hasn't seen a doctor. No, it's not. I could technically be going through menopause. It's, it happens very early. It can. Um, but it's, I, she's at that age where she is starting to think about her impending invisibility, right? Um, she's not quite there. She, it hasn't been confirmed, but at some point her body is either starting or going to go through a transformation. Um, and I think that's very powerful. So 42 didn't feel right. 41 didn't feel right. I thought 43 would be the age where you're right in the center. You're neither 40, you're not 45. Um, it's coming, right? You're neither here nor there. You're definitely in transition of something. A transformation is happening. Anybody else? 
No. All right. Everybody buy the book. And I yes. know Liska will be signing. Yes. Please. <laughs> I brought lots of pins. There's cake. There's we brought cake. good book cake. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for coming out. I feel like I'm... Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.